you shall not steal. And that's the word of God we're looking at this afternoon. We read a summary of what that means, what the Bible teaches about the Eighth Commandment in Lord's Day 42. If you turn in the back of your songbooks to page 892, 892. What does God forbid and then what does God require in this commandment? What does God forbid in the eighth commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. And then let's return again this week to 1 Corinthians 6, as we read last week, but just verses 9 through 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. We read of God's grace for thieving rascals. 1 Corinthians 6. It's talking about how the Corinthians are fighting each other, taking each other to court, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Verse 8. Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's God's good news for us. May he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, the eighth commandment is you shall not steal, Finally, we get a commandment that we can keep. Because most of us, I'm sure, don't steal. In a survey taken by the Barna Group several years ago, 86% of adults 
claimed that they completely satisfy the eighth commandment, God's prohibition of stealing. You shall not steal is a good word for thieves and robbers, we think, but really doesn't have much to say to us ordinary folk. Well, we read last week from 1 Corinthians 6 about the amazing grace of God toward Corinthian adulterers, perverts, promiscuous, immoral people. And how God rescued their lives from the sewage, washed them clean in the blood of Christ, and then actually made his home within them. And they became temples of the Holy Spirit. Shocking. But you know, it takes as much grace to save thieves. They too became his temple in Corinth. Such were some of them too, we read. Thieves and the greedy. So let's let God's eighth commandment address us today. Show us our problem with theft. We all have theft issues. And show also God's grace to restore thieves, wash them, justify them, change them. We want to see three things. God's grace for thieving rascals. What God forbids. What God requires and then what God provides. What he forbids, requires, and provides. It's helpful for us right at the outset to really get the issue that's in the Eighth Commandment. We belong to a good and generous God who delights in giving. Give. Give. And to a good and generous Lord Jesus Christ who gives. And we're made in this God's image, and he created us to give. And theft is anti-God. It's take from others for yourself. Take, take. It is satanic. Whereas Satan took, robbed the human race. By his lies and deceit. Of course, man gave himself willingly to that. It's our own fault. So that's the underlying issue. Theft is highly underrated. It's understood. It's underrated as a threat to life and society. It's viewed as a little thing, a small problem. Nothing like adultery and murder and idolatry. But it's a big deal. No society can sur survive without respect for property. Do you know that? No society can survive without respect for property. This is part of the reason we are imploding. Think of all the money being invested in locks. And security cameras, alarm systems, security guards. Billions of dollars in our country every year. Comes at a huge cost. 
And it's all because of the take mentality. When respect for property goes, society cannot function. Human relations fall apart. Everybody becomes a plunderer. No one's safe. Work becomes pointless. The command of God you shall not steal is far more important, brothers and sisters, for life and for society than we realize, I think. And and to understand that we need to look at the many ways stealing takes place when it comes to theft, human creativity is stunning. The ways we can invent to take our neighbor's stuff. It's shocking. I'm reminded... I don't think it was made by Norman Rockwell, but you've probably seen the picture of this proprietor, this butcher, and this lady in the butcher shop, and they're across the counter from each other, the seller and the buyer, and they're smiling at each other, right? And the butcher has got his finger on the scale to put it up, to put it down, and the buyer, the woman, has her finger under the scale to lift it up, and they're both trying to defraud each other. Theft lives on both sides of the counter. The seller, the buyer. Each wants to take the other in order to gain more for him or herself. That's life in a sinful world. It's a life that God forbids. It's so much against who he is and how he made us. It's so much against the reason he redeemed us in Christ. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? Asked the Catechism, and it goes through some of the human inventions. God forbids not only outright theft and robbery. Well, theft is a quiet crime of breaking into your neighbor's workshop at night to steal his power tools. Big problem in our area. It's theft. Robbery is a violent crime of Stealing by mugging someone or holding them at gunpoint or looting a shop and intimidating the folks behind the counter. Well, then there's the whole area, says the catechism, of evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbors good for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate. There are so many evil schemes made to appear legitimate. We smile on both sides of the counter while we try to exploit the other for our own selfish good. The catechism names several categories of these evil schemes like inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume designed or designed by the seller to cheat the buyer out of some of his product by rigging the scales. And that's why we need so many inspectors there are really this many grams in the Rice Krispie box. We need inspectors. Make sure Kellogg's is not trying to take away just a few grams every box. And they get to get a lot off that if they would. And then there's fraudulent merchandising or false marketing. Where you lie about your product as you advertise it. Or you guilt people into buying it by creating a false narrative for them. Or you convince people to buy it by a false narrative like those casino ads. You know, your life is so dull and 
empty. You need true excitement and joy. Go to the casino. You'll be jumping for joy. Of course. Fraudulent merchandising. Oh, and speaking of another way of theft, gambling and lotteries, trying to gain wealth, not through any exchange of commodity, but by taking from another, trying to gain at another person's loss. It's a fraudulent system, brothers and sisters. We should not partake. Does not have God's blessing. Then there's counterfeit money, it says, creating false money that has no value and then dumping it into the market so that everyone's money is devalued and the person that gets the counterfeit money gets nothing into return, in return for what you got. And really, even when the federal government just dumps and jacks a lot of legal tender into the economy without accompanying goods on the other side, it devalues everybody's money. It's a form of counterfeit in a way. It, it's fraud, it's sin, it's theft. And then there's excessive interest, it says. Taking advantage of someone's crisis or poverty by helping them out in a pinch with a high interest loan. You exploit their misfortune. Now, the Bible does not oppose lending out money at an interest rate to help a guy start a business. Jesus says in the parable of the talents, why didn't you at least put it in the bank and get interest? But not to use interest as a way of providing necessities for the poor. And then the catechism adds, or any other means forbidden by God. And that covers a lot of territory. I'm going to list a bunch of things. Tax theft. Working for cash to avoid taxes. Fudging the numbers in your accounting to reduce your true income level. Debt theft. Leaving debts unpaid brings many small businesses to ruin because they can't afford to take you to small claims court, so they have to swallow the, the theft, the debt themselves. And you'll probably get away without paying it. Debt theft. Employee theft. Stealing goods from the store. Abusing the expense account for personal use. Using company time for personal time on your phone. Coming to work late or leaving early. Somewhere between 20 to 30% of all wages is employee theft. Think about that. What that costs a society. And on the other side of the counter, management theft. Employers cheating employees out of wages. Finding technical reasons not to pay their workers what they promised them. I think of the abolition of slavery in the States. So many of the master-slave relationships were changed into sharecropper relations where the master now became the landowner and had a sharecropping arrangement with the former slave. Sounds good on paper. But in many cases, there was so much abuse where the sharecropper will say, oh, you were sick for a day, so no pay for you for the whole year. 
Or they would lie about how much produce there really was and give their, their workers hardly anything. Management theft. It continues today in many different ways. Then there's petty theft, shoplifting, and looting. Cost retailers in the U.S. last year $13 billion and the taxpayers $33 billion. It's epidemic. And then there's stuff like roadside stealing, taking fruit and vegetables from farmers at night. Or buying a product from Walmart, using it and then returning it for a refund. Or using it, breaking it, and then returning it because it, there was a problem with it. And we feel justified stealing from institutions and very large companies because they deserve it or it won't hurt them or they'll never know it or whatever excuse we might come up with. Well, stealing always hurts someone. Somebody's paying. And it poisons our own soul because it makes us callous toward our neighbor. Another form of theft, vandalism, defacing or destroying someone else's property, leaving them with the cleanup bill. You're in the bathroom stall in some place and you write or scratch on the door. Somebody in the end is going to have to pay to clean that up. Or you break something in one of the rooms of the church building or school building or somewhere else. Just by abusing it. Somebody's got to pay for that. Or you dump something in the ditch on the roadside so that you don't have to deal with the bill. Somebody has to clean that up and pay for that. It's theft. You're abusing God-given property. Then there's something called insider trading in the stock market where a few people in the know buy or sell off stocks before an event that will cause the stocks to rise or fall. And then there's welfare fraud, taking handouts when you could be working or working and taking handouts at the same time. Think of how many people lined up at the COVID trough to take easy money when it was not intended for them. But if I can get away with it, it's fine. Everybody's doing it. It must be okay. Welfare fraud. Intellectual theft. Plagiarism. Stealing other people's ideas and words without giving them proper due. Cheating on a test or an assignment. Or stealing other people's work. Or doing a team project and making the other two guys do it all. And you get to benefit from the mark. That's intellectual theft. Or simply not using your brain, applying your brain to your studies, and you're robbing God of the gifts that he gave you and the mind that he wants you to develop. That's robbing God as well and and yourself. But society in that you could be contributing more if you had, if I had spent that time in school like I should have. And then there's robbing tithes and offerings from God. When we don't give God the first fruits of our income and spend it on ourselves instead. Malachi says we rob God. When he calls us to give it to him for the poor, we rob the poor. 
Because that's their due, the Bible says. It's, it's charity, it's giving mercy, but that's their due. We rob the mission of the church. We rob the kingdom. And many other kinds of theft, like information theft, hacking accounts to try to get personal information. How much cost there is to that. And then the catechism adds, in addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. We waste so much time and energy in frivolous pursuits, playing candy crush and Minecraft or scandal chasing on the news. And we could be doing something far more productive to serve God and our neighbor and build up ourselves for God's glory. You know, to take a five-minute break from work to play a game is one thing, but to spend hours on end when you should and could be doing better things, again, robs God of what we should give him and robs ourselves of what, how we could be growing and our neighbor of what we could be learning for serving to help others. Or we can rob God just by working too hard and not giving to God and to our children and to our neighbor the time we should be spending in the word of God and prayer. Well, there's so many forms of theft. What does God require? Giving. God is saying this commandment, I redeemed you from a thieving heart, a taking heart. And gave you a giving heart. I want you to practice that. It's no longer take, take, take. But I gave, gave, gave my son to turn you into from a take, take, take scoundrel and rascal to a give, give, give Christian. In the world of theft, I become the center of the universe and everybody else gets trampled upon in order to serve my interests. It's vile when you think about it. It's vile. But in the world of the gospel, God's the center. Then comes my neighbor, and I'm third, and I'm there to serve. 111, what does God require of you in this commandment? This is such a lovely answer. That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good. That I treat others as I would like them to treat me. And I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. The eighth commandment forbids a kind of attitude that says, somebody else will take care of this and provide. But Paul says in Ephesians 4, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with those in need. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own business, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may work properly, walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And 2 Thessalonians 3, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work 
let him not eat. Sometimes God does put us in a position where we can't support ourselves because of loss of health or work or pension or savings or crop. And then you know what? God wants us to glorify him by receiving from others. And then God calls us not to rob those who need our gifts. But in this commandment, he's calling us to a giving mindset, which is a God mindset, because again, our God is a giving God. He's a good and generous God and ready to share himself, pouring out his gifts on us every day. Gifts of wisdom, strength, work, food, drink, health, wealth, so we can enjoy the life that he's given to us. To live in his kingdom and invest in his glory and in his church and in our neighbor's good and society's well-being. And even when, when we study to have that giving mindset, I got to make the most of today because I want to be a giver. I want to grow in the grace of understanding and working and saving and sharing with those in need. Second Corinthians 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And that's a family trait of Christians who are children of the Heavenly Father by grace through Christ. Oh, what a good, giving, and generous God and Savior we have. Don't you want to imitate him? Don't you want to imitate him? Jesus saved you, rescuing you from a taking heart. and restoring in you, brothers and sisters, by the Holy Spirit of Jesus, a giving heart. To work hard, save hard, and give hard. Remember those three, work hard, save hard, and give hard. And this way, show the glory of your God in your life every day. So brothers and sisters, we treat theft as no big thing. It's a little thing and it doesn't hurt anyone but every theft takes its toll on who I am before God. It poisons my soul. Not only does it insult God and his character and hurt my neighbor and all of society, it poisons my own soul because we're members of one another and it always leaves its fingerprints on my neighbor. Pastor Kent Hughes writes this. Every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification, ungodification of money. Every time I give, I imitate my Savior. And that's whether giving finances, time, gifts of any kind. 
Every time I give, I show and share and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful life that has the eighth commandment written on it. We'll see thirdly what God provides. Above all, this commandment directs us to what God has provided for thieves like you and me so that we might no longer steal. He's provided for us conversion from taking to giving, from coveting to caring. And you know that gift is Jesus Christ. Think of that slime bucket tax collector Zacchaeus praying off poor Jewish people, he himself a Jew, to build his own beautiful home and buy expensive furniture and whatever he did to line his life with luxury until he met Jesus Christ. Or we could say Jesus met him because it says there, he came, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. What a radical change God provided for Zacchaeus in Jesus Christ. When Jesus met him, he brought his household salvation. When Zacchaeus repented, he said, I'm going to restore fourfold of all that I've stolen from everybody. And from now on, I'm giving half of what I earn to the poor. All his sins were forgiven through Jesus Christ. Salvation came to his household. His whole life was changed right side up again, the way God created him. That's what God provides for thieving rascals through the gift of his son. Crucified between two robbers, two thieves, two criminals. In order to save them from their sins, and make them right with God and give them a new way of living and dying. And do you want to be forgiven of all your sins like Zacchaeus? There's a way for me to be rid of all this thieving garbage from my life, the guilt and the power of it. Come to Christ who died to pay for sinners. We read that in 1 Corinthians 6, thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. We also read there, when you come to Christ, your whole fortune changes and your whole future changes. Such were some of you, he says, but you were washed, wow. You were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is what you were. God's grace for thieves. And, and he gives me a whole new orientation in my life. And he transforms me from a taker to a giver. From a holder to a helper. A new creation. And now I take what he gives me. He gives some more, some less. To invest in him and in his kingdom 
and the spread of the gospel and my neighbor's good and doing whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, I invest my life. That's how he wants me to use all the gifts, all the possessions, all the time, all the energy, all the blessings that he pours out upon my covenant life. Because the way to gain life in his kingdom is to give it away. The way you lose life is try to hold on to it, Jesus said. What a life God has given to us in the eighth commandment. It's a good life. It's a grace life. It's a Christ life. May he give us each grace to live that life each day. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for rescuing us from our thieving, greedy hearts. We look around and see what we can get for ourselves, what we can get away with, how much we can keep. Thank you for rescuing us from that miserable, self-centered life. We hate it. We hate it. And for transforming us to think a whole new way about why we're here, who we are, why we're here. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that this is your work. Now teach us to give and to give generously and to give wisely. Use us for your glory. Make us investors in the kingdom of Christ, investing treasure in heaven, which can never lose its value. And Jesus, we ask this. Amen.